think about the way the world is and the way that the world could be. All of our systems are interrelated and interdependent. There's a thousand different voices that nobody hears. We're looking at a human being, and there's a life story. 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 Connection to the people we don't know that live near us. An Elevated Denver starts now. Welcome back to the Elevated Denver podcast. In this episode, we'll be hearing from David. He tells us his story of living in one of Denver's largest shelters, creating a community there, and sitting in a space of reflection and healing. This episode is being brought to you by Donald and Lynn Burns of the Burns Institute for Policy Research at the Colorado Center for Law and Policy. Thank you for your support. Before we start, we want to let you know that we went through an informed consent process with everyone we interviewed. And before airing each of these episodes, we sent the recording to the interviewees to make sure that they were still comfortable with us sharing their story. Before we hear from David, I want to acknowledge that parts of his story may be triggering for some listeners. If so, please take care. Okay, well, David, I guess we could start with the most important questions like, what's your experience being unhoused and how did that start? You want to tell me a little bit about that? Um, well, I've dealt with this, um, the homeless street life for a lot of my life. When I was 16, I ended up leaving my mom's house just because she was so unhealthy for me and toxic. Like, I, even, even I learned toxicity at, a, at an early age, and I just, that's when I left. I didn't get housing until... I was about 18, I believe, and I was forced to grow up in those neighborhoods. Like there's like, I didn't want to stay in as a child, uh, even though I was always grounded for not doing good in school. But I would still go out and and learn bad habits from from the streets and stuff, uh, and it kind of just kept me in the streets, just because I was so used to it by that time. Uh, but now, now this is like, it's also, again, my doing, be becoming homeless. Um, I went through kind of a, a divorce and a DV case for harassment. So I lost everything in that process. And when I got out of jail, I ended up having, couldn't go back to my place, couldn't go get my belongings. So about four years ago, about, about four years ago, that's, that's when it happened. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was about three years ago, uh, tw at the end of 2019, I was arrested on my birthday. So that was like a birthday to remember, but now I'm just trying to work day to day, one day at a time kind of thing to get back to my life. Well, a new life, but a better one. Tell me a little bit more about the one day at a time and how did that a mentality start? Oh man, that took a lot of time. I didn't really notice my progression until a lot of the times that I was by myself. When I had a lot more time to reflect on what I've done, who I want to be, and how I want to be. And that took at least two years of being alone. Like I was, I was about two years just alone by myself, doing everything by myself. Um, I was still going through court cases and 
eventually running from the law because they were just, you know, probation is kind of, they set you up for failure. They want you to fail. Um, so just pushing through that, doing that, when I, when I realized that when I was making plans for anything, anything, something, some third party force in the universe would mess it up. But then it kept showing me that like, maybe, maybe I was rushing too much. I mean, I had housing for about a month and I was moving so quickly, so quickly that it, I didn't have a time to really catch up once I got there. And a month later, I was right back at the shelter. Um, so that really, a lot of failures in my plans kind of had, I had no other choice but to live one day at a time. Not even worry about what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Worry about how I'm going to get through today. And how, how does that make you feel going through that process? Um, the feelings that come up during that, I have to be alone. I have to work at it one day at a time. Honestly, it's a lot better than how I was doing it before. Um, I don't know who I would be if I wouldn't have made my choices that put me where I am now. So I just now... I don't even worry about those plans. I don't worry about um, getting housing immediately. You know, I, I believe that everything happens for a reason. And, and there are instances where, you know, you could be at the wrong place at the wrong time. So I, I was very good at doing that. And it that's what kind of ended up making me be alone for so long because of all the poor choices that I was making and it, it gets easier after you you become accustomed of doing one day at a time once you start learning that okay well you don't want to take you don't have to take big steps you know ladders aren't six feet difference you know in in in, in trying to climb up the ladder you know it's one step one step um and I also learned that just to like something to go to the gym or whatever. Make a goal of just actually getting to the gym. I won't even like walk in there, but I'll I'll actually make that goal of just getting to the gym. Like, okay, I made it this far. Well, let's see if I can take that next step. So it's the smaller steps that are helping me rather than my my big steps that I'm working on. I've gotten like a case manager at the shelter to help me get my documents, get... Uh, Get on food stamps or Medicaid, help me get a phone, stuff like that. But really anything that I've I've had to do, I just had to do it on my own, like my sobriety. Uh, anybody that I, I ended up getting sponsored, uh, like sponsored with, they ended up using like weeks later. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this by myself. <laughs> what other support do you think, like in the future, if if you feel like you're ready, what other support besides um, a place to live and a job, or what else do you think you would need to to help? I would need the right uh, people around me, for one, and keep a positive attitude as much as possible. I can do that as long as there's no negativity around me. Um, but it's 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 hard to get back into society when you've been, you know, out of it for so long, and and you you go accustomed to being alone, not really messing with people, or going out to 
get groceries could be too much anxiety for me. But I, I, I don't necessarily believe that I need support. Like, if I can't do it on my own, then why, why am I doing it? Um, so that's why I'd, I'd much rather um, be working with the support groups, uh, no matter, like, what, what my uh, status is on the streets or not. I'd rather just work with those support groups than have the support groups work for me. Because there's people that need way more help than I do. So... Um, the support groups, I don't, I don't necessarily believe. Like, technically, you guys right now are a support group for me. So. That's good. And sharing your story is a support for a lot of other people, too. Yeah. So thanks. Um, I, this is kind of going back a little. I was just curious, when did you first come to Colorado? Cause I think you said when you were 18, you switched, but I wasn't sure. Is that when you came to Colorado? No, ma'am. Um, I came to Colorado when I was 21. Okay. Um, wasn't for like the weed thing or anything like that. I really just wanted a better new start. I was pulling my reckless, irrational, selfish, selfish, um, attitude towards everybody. I was just always a negative person, always thinking negative, uh, wanting to do negative things, um, robbing, drugs, um, extracurricular activities with with uh multiple people it it was it was too much it was like it was just a party life that i was trying to like kind of live like in my own party life but by the time i was 21 like most of that was gone like by the time i came here most of that party life of me was gone but i still had the uh drug addiction and the, the alcoholism that was drowning me just just drowning me and to overcome that, I had to put myself through, uh, like, the most mental stress that I, I could ever, like, uh, like get from just, just one altercation that gave me so much stress and anxiety that I'm pretty sure it gave me PTSD, but it's because I did it to myself. And once I realized that I was doing so much negative stuff, that's when I finally reflected after uh, becoming homeless, it's crazy you have to go through great pain in order to uh, experience true peace. That doesn't mean that I'm always positive, though. Uh, like, my, I battle my demons every day, but I've grown to know them. So now it's just like, like, they'll pop up every once in a while, and I'm like, usually I can just, no, no, you go, go back down there, man. Like, you, you, didn't, you didn't even raise your hand. But, um... <laughs> I think battling with my demons by myself was what really helped me overcome them. Like doing it all by myself, not having anybody to lean on. I'm the person that everybody leans on now, which is definitely okay with me. Well, I didn't back then in my life. I really do wish that I had somebody that's got a mindset like I do. Um, I never had that. Never any any role model I had in my life was not a positive one. And my stepmom kind of was, but she didn't treat me like like I was hers too much. Like once I started, like everybody saw that I was going downhill. I'm like always grounded for because I'm I'm not going to class or I'm just not doing my work. 
I mean, there even in high school, there was a time I had like 250 classes missed or something in a semester. I don't even, I just didn't go. Um, but nobody, nobody challenged me. Nobody sat to talk with me. I even had a therapist at one time when I was about 15, 16. And she ended up getting married and she moved. And I was working with her for almost a year. And when that happened, I got like this cranky looking old lady and she just I was like man I was like now I've got to start over with everything we've talked about now she was actually making some good progress with me I believe and that that made it even worse on my poor choices I was like well you're not you're not even like a positive role role model for me anymore like you're completely different than the therapist I had so any really my my role models were teachers which was surprising because I freaking hated school. I hated school so much. I just wanted to go there to hang out with my friends and and play football. That was that was about it. Um the the drug habits though, it 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 really started to affect me. Cause I mean, what kind of parents gonna be like really paying attention to their kid while they're doing drugs as well? So not being watched or paid attention to or taken care of. Um, I even had a little brother that I, I had to take care of. He was my stepbrother, but the day, I, the day I met him, I fell in love with him. He was like six months old with his big ass head and these big old eyes. I was like, dude, yes. Um, like four years of like work. I'm, I'm like taking care of him. They, they'd go on vacation. I'm like 15 years old, taking care of a baby and going to school. I'm like, this ain't even my kid, <laughs> but like, I ended up eventually having to sell drugs in order to, like, help pay for stuff. And, yeah, my my mom still has yet to uh, admit that she got a bunch of money from me, at, you know, from time and time to help pay for anything. I just told them, really, just to pay for their bills, and I'll help my little brother out. And, uh... I think when I left my mom's at 16, that's when, that's when everything went like downhill. Like, cause I, I left, my mom was so toxic. I'm like, I'm sorry, little bro. Like I'm going to go freaking nuts if I stay here. So it's just the poor role models. It was, that was my biggest issue. When I came out here, when I moved out here, I was uh, homeless for a bit just cause I came out here on a whim. Didn't know nobody. I had, like, the dude that convinced me to go. He he was all about the weed. And I'm like, dude, you're 19 trying to go out in a state that you're not even going to be able to buy weed. Like, and, uh, but I was just like, man, screw it. Let's take that chance. And it, it, it did help me not have so many uh, poor choices available to, available to my use. But when, when it became available, that's when I, I didn't even fight it. I, I wouldn't even fight those poor choices. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, you, you, Coke, okay. Um, pills, eh, let, let's try that. Like, it, it didn't really matter. I, but I've always been an experimentalist, too. Uh, not sure if that's a word, but like, I was, I was, I grew up trying to know everything from my personal experience. We'll be right back. 
This podcast is being brought to you by sponsors who believe in shedding more light on the issue of homelessness in our community. There's still room for season sponsors, and this space can be used to highlight the great work your organization is doing and your commitment to our community. That's good for you, and it's good for us, because your sponsorship will support this work and help us get it out to more people. If you want the details, email us at sponsorship at elevateddenver.co. Now, back to the show. I just, you said a little bit about this, but you said part of your your shift to positivity and to getting clean and being where you are now in terms of your mindset was being reflective about where you've been. Is there anything else that sort of spurred that for you? It was really just being by myself mostly. Like that, I'd say that had 60, 70% of, of my transformation of becoming a positive person. Because when I quit alcohol... I quit cold turkey. Like, I just cut it out of my life. And I hallucinated, like, so, so bad that, like, it scared me to, like, take another drink. I was like, well, if I take one drink, it's not going to be one drink. It's going to be, like, 20. And, and yeah, if trying to quit that again, it was terrible. Uh, I've even had to quit, like, heroin and Coke, pills, and alcohol all at once. I was like 18 at that time. I thought I was dying. <laughs> I thought I was just absolutely dying. Um, but it scared me. It, it put me in a, a, a headspace where like, oh, I don't want to go through that crap again. Never. I don't ever want to go through that again. Um, NA and AA and stuff like that just did not work for me. I like, it's, it, it, it reminds me of like the Bible. Like, you know, it's, it, it had the books about like turning you into a better version of yourself in recovery. And, and people don't get that. They, they think, they, I don't know how they think of it in a different way. I have no idea how they would think that, but to me, it's just, it teaches you how to be a better person and how to go about step-by-step step in your own way. But I, I don't believe everybody should be doing like, if they're in recovery, you, not everybody's the same, you know? So, Everybody's got to find their own little spark that that triggers a, a distraction away from that that lifestyle of, of wanting to use. Me, it was music. I would sit and write lyrics for hours, hours. I would have like rough draft over rough draft over rough draft and pretty much make myself go crazy over it, but it wouldn't make me want to use. Like, I, of course, I'd want to smoke a little weed. You know, that's, that's like my medicine but it just like it didn't want me to to use anymore and it was really fascinating with how that worked cuz i didn't a lot of this stuff that i discovered it took me time to realize it because i was so blind to everything i didn't i didn't catch any progression that i ever made but once i started like seeing my progression that's when i was like i know what i want to do and i know how i'm going to do it i do one step day at a time because any plan like i was saying earlier anytime i've made a plan about anything Something messes it up. If it's not me, it's something else outside this universe preventing me from achieving that. Um, so the, the one day at a time, once I can, like I'll, I feel like when I'll be able to start thinking about what's going to happen in a week, what's going to happen in two weeks, that's when I, when I find that out, that's when I'm a little bit more ready to go back out into the world, into society. 
Because society is all about planning. Like, you have to have plans in society. If you don't have a plan in society, you're not going to go anywhere. And being homeless, you don't need a plan. You just need some friends that can help you stay positive, and then you can work on yourself to, to getting there. So the shelter kind of helps you be able to um, get that sense of community to work on yourself. In a, in a way, but that shelter will either make you or break you, and, and it, there's no in-between. See, I was, I was homeless for two years before uh, I even heard about Jesus Saves. And, like, I was trying to turn myself into to jail. They didn't want to take me. I was trying to turn myself into a psych ward. They didn't want to take me. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm going to have to, like, stab somebody just to, like, get somewhere. And mm. they, they took me to Jesus Saves, and it, like, like changed my life. Which, it, Jesus Saves is a terrible area. Like, it's, it is not a good spot. But a lot of the workers there, they were respectful and gave me info and insight on, on stuff that I didn't even know about. And it, if I wouldn't have gone there, I don't know who I would be today. That was that stepping stone, the, uh, the precipice of my change. After that, I was like, dude, I need to really, really reevaluate my intentions and, and how I'm going to go about with life. And I don't know. I think I think nobody can ever truly discover themselves if they don't go through some lonely processes. Just to to press a little bit, getting connected to Jesus Saves, otherwise known as Denver Rescue Mission. Did you say it was a friend that brought you there that told you about it, or how did um, you first? How did you end up learning about that organization? So I just I like I was saying, I went to. I went to the, the police department to turn myself in. I had a, a warrant for that stupid DV case. Um, didn't even know I had it for the longest time. Then I was like, you know what? I need somewhere to sleep. I need somewhere to eat. I don't even care anymore. And they didn't want to take me because it, was, it wasn't violent. And that's when I was like, like, I even asked the cop. I was like, dude, can I swing on you and miss and you'll just arrest me? Like, I really don't care about the consequences. Um, he, he chuckled and he was like, no, but I got a place we can take you. And like, they had... Uh, some lady picked me up in a bus, and it was a place. Uh, I'm not. I don't actually even remember what kind of place it was, but it was, it looked like a sober living slash mental facility. Like if you want to get clean, or if you're trying to become sane again, then that's where you would go. But they didn't want to take me either. Um, they gave me all these like places that I could go to, and first place I I, I saw it was uh, Denver Rescue, and I called them up. They were like, yeah, you just got to get here before 2. I'm like, oh, damn, it's 12. I think it was like 12.30 or something like that. They actually drove me to downtown. I was like, dude, I don't even know where I'm going, man. I don't even know anything about downtown. And that was like, I've never really been in downtown except like a few times with like a group of people. So downtown was very unfamiliar, especially in that that area. Um, but when they pointed, when they uh, told me that they would take me, they... Uh, the mental health people at that facility, they had no problem with taking me over there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they'll take you? Well, hop in the van. Um, but they didn't, they didn't necessarily uh, do enough. They, like, they, they just kind of wanted to get rid of me, really. Anybody that's homeless, you get overlooked. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if, you, if, if you don't look homeless. You know, I clearly don't look like I'm homeless, but why would I want to look that part? But people still look at it as different. Like, if you don't have Medicaid or if you don't have a house, you, you're you definitely a, a burden, not 
not not a person. And it's sad. It's very sad. It is sad. Like I'll I'll give somebody my last dollar if it, if I believe it would help them more than it would help me because they don't have a voice. There's a thousand different voices that nobody hears. David, before we wrap up, is there anything else you you want to say or share about your experience that you might think would be helpful for other people to hear? Be yourself. Always be yourself. If, if you truly want something, you have to put your mind to it, even if it's just one step, one day at a time. You will get there eventually, but evolution takes time. I know that not everybody wants to hear people out and not everybody wants to give advice, but when you find that one person that, that does want to do that for you, keep that person. Because those are very, they're very hard to come by. And if you're willing to listen, I'm willing to talk. Always. Thank you, David, for sharing your story. And thank you again to our episode sponsor, Don and Lynn Burns. Don Burns is a longtime researcher and advocate for improving the way we address homelessness. And he and his wife are the founders of the Burns Institute for Poverty Research at the Colorado Center on Law and Policy. He's excited about the work of Elevated Denver. Tune in next time to hear our neighbor Walter's story of being unhoused and getting support through the social impact bond. So basically a lot of people take what they could get and that usually um, turns into a cycle back to homeless again because you put them back in that same environment that they're coming out of. So they don't have no room for success. So when I came into it, I was in national stock, so 800 guys. In the height of COVID, I was sleeping on the cot. The coalition came looking for me. It was unheard of. I thought people was playing a joke on me. They was like, hey, somebody came looking for housing. I just signed up. I was only three months in my assignment. I thought it was three, two, uh, two years at the most. But the homeless actually, uh, coalition actually came and got me. And when they got me, the shelter closed down. And so what they did is they put me in um, a temporary housing, a hotel that they own. So the whole process is totally changed. Where we view that people didn't care about us or where they view that we didn't want it, now we're working together. The Elevated Denver podcast is produced by Leanne Morrison, Myra Negi, and Jonna Flood. Narration brought to you by your host, Nathan Havey. Editing, sound design, and music are composed and provided by Jesse Boynton. Recording and production provided by House of Pod. If you found this episode interesting and would like to hear more, please go to our website where you can make a donation and learn more about our work. Visit us at elevateddenver.co. And don't forget to let others in the community know about our podcast. It's going to take all of us to build an elevated Denver.